So on today's 43, our guests are two men who I love and respect very, very much. Uh, Slaughter, one of my best friends on the planet, uh, F3 Nation's Nantan and CEO, and Red Baron, uh, a member of the F3 Board of Directors and father to some very high-impact men and great leaders in their own right, uh, Hello Kitty, uh, Atari, or West Atari, as I like to call him, uh, and Lightyear. On this episode, Ralph and I talk to them a little bit about legacy and about what that means. And now, there's no script to a 43. We sort of let the conversation go where it will go. Uh, and toward the end of the episode, I tried to make an analogy that falls a little flat because it kind of makes it sound like that the statement I just made about having respect and love for these men isn't totally true. Sometimes when the thought isn't fully formed, it needs a little more baking before you drop it out there. But hopefully you'll see where I was trying to go. Uh, now, before this devolves into a full-on self-effacing parenthetical, uh, let's get started. There are some really great leadership nuggets of wisdom in here, and I, I hope that you'll take something home from them so you can better navigate your next 43 feet. Leadership isn't for the faint of heart. It's dirty, dangerous, difficult, and disruptive. It will test everything about who you are. Unfortunately, as a leader, you're out front, which means you usually only get about 43 feet of good road built for those following behind you while you're running the race yourself. Welcome to the 43 Feet Podcast, where each week you'll hear from some of the greatest leaders we can find both in F3 and beyond. If you're going to lead, you'll need to be ready for the difficult challenges, for what lies ahead in the unknown, for what's lurking in the next 43 feet. Hello and welcome back to the 43 Feet Podcast. Uh, my name is Dark Helmet, and I'm, of course, uh, I'm joined every week uh, here by my partner in crime, Mr. Matt Crossman, Ralph, out of St. Louis. Uh, happy to have him. Uh, Ralph, where did you uh, post this morning? Uh, I actually uh, woke up earlier than usual. So instead of going to my normal place, I went to one a little bit farther away just to see new guys, get a, uh, a, a taste of a different uh, AO. And I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we are smack in the middle of the worst cold uh, stretch uh, in the time I've lived in St. Louis. 15 years and it's the coldest it's ever been. It was negative uh, two when I posted on Monday and it was, <laughs> it warmed up to, it was 13 today. And so we've had uh, wind chills in the negatives uh, all week. Saturday, I will say that Saturday was the coldest day we'd ever had. And it was also the highest attendance. And those two things are definitely related. So. How about that? See, you know, and this is what I saw. I tweeted something the other day. Cause uh, you know, I saw guys like, you know, oh yeah, it's uh, minus twenty wind chill or whatever. And I was like, you know, these guys in the South, especially the Florida guys, that are like, somehow we endured. It was sixty, you know, <laughs> sixty-one degrees today. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you're just embarrassing yourselves. Just yeah. enough of that. Don't ever say that again. Yeah, yeah. It, it and it is again, like you said. I don't know exactly when this will air, but um, there is some crazy weather out there right now. I mean, yeah. snow in Texas and and. I'm watching uh, Gus in Memphis, uh, not necessarily known for its super cold temperatures. Um, yeah. He's, you know, snow skiing down his street. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so this is what's happening. So, uh, also well, the, pro the problem in Texas isn't the snow; it's uh, Big Enos turned off the, his uh, power plant, so uh, nobody's got any juice down there. I know. I was say so. Everybody's like freezing out of their houses. I heard like there are people who their homes inside their homes is like 40 degrees. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. and in, probably inappropriate. Um, but, 
And that voice you just heard was uh, one of our guests joining us today, which is uh, the CEO slash Nantan of F3 Nation, uh, Mr. John Lambert, uh, F3 Slaughter. Welcome, John. Thank you. Awesome and, to uh, be here. Hey, man, we're glad to have you. So, and also uh, another very high impact man, uh, General Ralph Jodas, who is joining us from F3 Snacktown up in PA, uh, also known as F3 Red Baron. We're, we're in Pennsylvania. Thanks, Sark Helmet. Great to be with you guys. So, uh, uh, Snacktown is uh, technically Hanover, Pennsylvania, uh, which is south central Pennsylvania. We're about five miles north of the Maryland border. And uh, so Hanover, we call it, we met, named ourselves Snacktown because Hanover is where they make Snyder's of Hanover pretzels, it's mm. potato chips. So we are the Snacktown capital of the United States. So we're, we're not near Philly. We're not near Pittsburgh. We're kind of right here in the middle um, and stuff. So um, how close it's are kind you? kind of a long story how we got here, but we're not originally from here. An hour to an hour and 15 so you can almost get chocolate covered pretzels as okay that's not funny i'm just going to we're moving on well i can i can get chocolate covered pretzels here without any problem at all you know i just go to the <laughs> it's a Pennsylvania store. thing yeah, yeah, yeah i get my senior, i get between getting my senior discount or my military discount you know i'm good to go they're they're basically just throwing it at you they're like get, just give that guy anything he wants <laughs> helmet did you mention that uh, red baron is on the f3 nation board of directors I did not. So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, and, but that is very true. So uh, Red Baron is uh, one of the members of the board of directors of F3 Nation. Uh, so that's Slaughter's boss, kind of. Um, so this ought to be fun. No, no, I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on the board, too. Yeah, yeah. But you yeah, yeah, it's near, near the position that Red Baron does. He's everybody's <laughs> boss. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I've interacted with, uh, with Red Baron a number of times. Uh, some in person, uh, like at the, uh, the, the change of command ceremony that we did in Cape Fear a few weeks ago, uh, and a lot on Zoom at board meetings and things like that uh, that I've been able to attend. Um, and he keeps claiming he has this general voice, uh, but I have yet to hear it. <laughs> it's nice. You have to hear it? I can't imagine it. Yeah, it only comes out at uh, certain times. You know, just, uh, just ask, ask Hello Kitty, Atari, and Lightyear uh, when, when that, when that general. And for those who are listening, those are our 2.0, 2.1, and 2.2s in, in respective order. So I, I'm sure they could tell you about it. Yeah, I'm sure uh, that's right. I'm sure they'd be. Uh, they, they're like, it wasn't just a dad voice because a dad voice is yeah, enough, that, right? It was like a dad voice <laughs> plus general voice, and it, yeah, on top of it, yeah, yeah. But but look what you raised. I mean, this is some high impact men. Well, um, Dark Helmet, thanks for that. Uh, and it, obviously, it's not me, it's the team approach, you know, where no one member of the team is more important than anybody else. And so the M, uh, their mom, as they call her, Mama Dice or John Bon Jovi, Mama John Bon Jovi, because uh, she's a John, Bo John Bon Jovi fan, uh, <laughs> MBJ uh, or MJB, and, and uh, Judy is her hospital name. Obviously, there were times when I wasn't around, uh, you know, where I was deployed or as we call it, TDY, temporary duty or as a commander, different uh, jobs, you know, long hours. So she did a great, a great job. And I, we always set, I think, the right tone in the in the house that we're going to do this together. There was no wait till your father gets home, mm -hmm. um, although there was one time maybe that I had a. <laughs> but uh, Kitty, right? Let me guess. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to hear uh, what that was about. Uh, I'm not. I'm not at liberty. I'm not gonna do that. But uh, 
but yeah, so thanks for that. And, and, uh, you know, without getting too far into it, Katie was the first one to join F3 and then me. And then, uh, he, he, I always say our, it was his grand, uh, his daughter, his 2.0, our 3.0 that EH'd me, but then he and I, uh, EH'd, uh, Atari. And then, um, he went out to Omaha. Kitty went out to Omaha as a troubadour where Lightyear was stationed at the time and, uh, got him going. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's, a, it's pretty fun to have the four of us as a father, sons, teams, um, actively engaged in the nation across the board for those that don't know. Yeah. We, uh, I often refer to you all as the first family of F3. <laughs> so. You're too so, Did you, did you launch snack town or were you not there when it launched? Like, how did you, uh, how did you get in like geographically? How did that work? How did that play out? Yeah. So, uh, when, when I first was EH, I was down in, uh, North Carolina where, Kitty lives. Hello Kitty in Carpex. That's where, you know, that he goes. And I, uh, so I actually, I did an F3 dads and that was in October 17. And so pretty much any time then we went down there to visit them or when we go to, we have a house near the beach in Shalote, North Carolina, which is near Ocean Isle beach. My brother and I own it. It was our parents retirement home. And there's a OIB guys. It's not an official AO, but, um, you know, uh, F3 guys packs that when they're there, they post and stuff. So, Anyway, then I would post with him and then Kitty was coming up for Christmas in December of 19. And, uh, he's like, Hey dad, uh, how about we get a workout together? And I said, all right, let me see what I can do. I got four other packs to come on out. And on December 24th of 2019, so Christmas Eve morning at 0700, we, uh, posted down here at kids kingdom, which is about a half mile down the road from me. It's a local park. And, uh, that's how we started snack town. We're not very big We're we get four five, six guys to a post. Um, we need to do a little bit more on our marketing end, uh, and such, but so we sort of planted a flag and, and then Kitty of course goes home and leaves it in my hands. I'm like, great. You know, now what do I do? <laughs> that's not free. Yeah. He's dad, you're free to lead. I'm like, yeah, I got it. So, you're, you're like, yeah. Uh, been there, made, made a career of it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So, yeah. So just out of curiosity, so you, you, you roll into this beatdown, and you've got general in front of your name. Uh, how do you nickname a general? Like I, I was telling you, you know, we, we have a Lieutenant Colonel in the air force and I was severely intimidated to nickname him and he's only a Lieutenant Colonel. Like how did, how, how did you get your nickname? Uh, well, in all honesty, you know, when I rolled into that first workout and, and beat down, you know, I'm Ralph Jodas. I mean, that's, and that's the way I sort of approach things throughout my entire life, entire career. And so, uh, and of course I think Kitty probably prepped the battlefield, as we say a little bit, uh, tell him that I was coming and, uh, but I mean, I'm retired and stuff. So anyway, uh, we go around, we do the, they do the name Rama, they get to me, you know, FNG, whatever. I, I think I was the only FNG there that day. And it was like, so tell us about yourself. So, um, you know, 36 and a half years in the air force. Uh, I was a fighter pilot. I did a bunch of other different things. Uh, I like riding bicycles and this kind of stuff. So I think someone said fighter pilot Snoopy and the red Baron. Somebody goes red Baron. That's it. Um, and that's how I got, got the name. And I was like, that's really good. I really like that. <laughs> you know, I don't want to say anything right then. Because like no, then they might've changed it to something yeah. I don't like, you know, you know how that works. But, uh, and, and I, and I also, 
You know, I, uh, since we're talking about this, uh, I think we grow into our nicknames, right? I had nicknames in the Air Force. And so you, you, you grow into that uh, and you take, wh- whether you take on the persona, I don't know that there's a persona, but I found it to a certain extent, uh, you know, kind of respectful, uh, yeah. more than kind of. Um, and honor, I mean, yeah, he was a German World War I ace, but a superb pilot. Um, I wasn't necessarily a superb pilot. Um, but anyway, so, uh, and, and I think it's kind of cool the way that, that all kind of came together. And so anyway, that's how I got, uh, I wound up with Red Baron. I think it's fitting, very fitting. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, especially because uh, if you get out of line, he will uh, hunt you out. <laughs> destroy you <laughs> yeah oh well uh, i'll make i'll make you i'll make you do a bunch of burpees and merkins and squats i love squats that's bad enough <laughs> so uh and and actually baron you you kind of started down this road a little bit and i think it's funny you didn't know it but you were kind of introducing the topic to to some degree today as well uh and and one of the things you mentioned was that it's a team affair so raising those those men, uh, you know, uh, boys of the time, I guess, right? But now men uh, was a team affair for you. Uh, we've got Slaughter here, who uh, clearly sits, you know, uh, in in a role. Um, I guess you could say at the top of, but I don't know that he would characterize it that way exactly. But um, but with he's charged with leading, you know, F three Nation. Obviously, can't do everything himself. And, and that's, you know, when I, when I saw that you guys, and so the packs who don't know, uh, which probably is most of them, right. It, the way that I've, I've kind of structured this is I just sort of opened it up to, you know, sort of this, uh, you know, a few guys, I just wrote to some, some guys who I thought would be good or, or friends of mine or whatever. And I didn't know who was going to sign up for what, when it was just sort of open, uh, you know, o- open season and guys just started throwing their names in there. Uh, and then, it's just been interesting to see how, you know, you get two or three guys together and then pretty soon it's like, oh, uh, there's kind of this, this common thread that has sort of just accidentally happened. And so um, when I saw who was coming on today, I thought, you know, we really ought to talk about uh, teams and we ought to talk about legacy um, because uh, clearly uh, both you men have, have some legacy uh, already left um, and are at stages in your life slightly different ones. Um, uh, General's just a little bit older than Slaughter. Um, not a whole <laughs> lot, but a little. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's looking to leave a little bit different kind of legacy. And, and here we are kind of on the, the front end uh, of taking over an organization, uh, deploying teams and building teams so that legacy can be built uh, going forward. And so I thought it'd be interesting for us to kind of explore that a little bit today and, and see you know, kind of where you guys fall and, and what are some of the things that you've got planned or what are, you know, how are you viewing these different stages of, of where you're at in, in, uh, in legacy development? Uh, and so if I can, I'm just going to start with, uh, start with Slaughter um, and, and say, you know, we, and we've heard, we've heard the story. In fact, Ralph uh, did an interview with you and we're going to release that here pretty soon. Uh, again, whenever this airs, uh, it'll probably be out by then. Um, right. But, uh, but, you know, so Pax may have even read this story, you know, or this interview. Uh, but here you are, you know, eight, nine years ago or whatever it was. I mean, clearly had no, no inkling that uh, showing up to workout was going to put you here. But now that you're here, uh, I'm not really, uh, this is not a, excuse me, this is not a look back show. You know, we don't, on, on 43, we're, we're looking at the 43 feet ahead. 
So I don't really care super much where you came from other than the fact that it colors where you are now, but here you are now. And so I, I'm, I'm curious, like, where do you, uh, I, I guess we'll just start with, with what, what is the legacy you hope to lead? Have you kind of thought through, you know, what it is you want the nation to look like in a few years? And, and I know you've got some goals and things like that, but, um, but, but what are you hoping to leave? One of the things that I love doing the most in my travels and talking to people, whether it's a customer here at Mammon or uh, a relative in a different city, I always say, have you heard of F3? And I would guess very few times do people around Charlotte for sure, but very few times do people actually know what F3 or sometimes they're like, ah, I think so. Is that the little circle F thing on the back of cars? But they don't know what it is. Um, so to me, that means that we've got our work cut out for us. Um, I, you know, I think the, 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 the plan is to bring F3 to everybody that wants it. Um, and in order to do that, we've obviously got to make it available geographically all across the country. We also have to market it in a way that, that people know that it's out there. They got to know that it's in their neighborhood or in their city to get to. And if we can do that, the rest kind of takes care of itself. I mean, the things that have been done in the last 10 years to establish what F3 is and what it stands for um, is pretty spectacular. Now I've got, you talked about the past coloring the present. I've got the unique um, position of seeing F3 pretty much from the beginning in Charlotte. And this is in Ralph's interview. I talked a lot about the fact that that's all F3 was, was a workout. Guys came to a workout and they became friends, you know, kind of by default, but there, there wasn't any Q source. There wasn't any whetstone. Uh, there wasn't a lot of Bible studies, those types of things happening. It was just the workout. Intentionality to it. Yeah, it, there really wasn't. We did mud runs. That was probably, you know, the, the, the team building part, but it wasn't like it is now at all. And because of that, things kind of languished a little bit. It took an awful long time for the personal development qualities to really shine through for the people that I knew, the guys that I was hanging out with. The fitness took them pretty far, helped get their lives organized. And, you know, even back then, if you met somebody in the gloom, you knew they were probably a pretty good guy. You knew their, prob their life was probably together a little bit, but you didn't see a lot of wild acceleration like you do now. Um, so that's part of the reason why uh, the team that we have, the, the shared leadership team that runs the nation, that's why we're trying to make all of these tools available to the regions because we expect somebody to basically on the day they show up for their first workout to be invited to Q source, to maybe be invited to a Bible study, to be invited to uh, help build a habitat for humanity home on Saturday. So that all these things kind of happen at the same time. And they're given the ability to really start to accelerate in all the different areas of their lives. So I think the legacy for F3 is to just kind of perfect this package and bring it all over the world so that everybody who wants to participate has, uh, has exposure to it. And it's not really just for the guys that are doing F3. It's for the rest of the community. You know, with hiring the executive director and putting this uh, F3 foundation in a position to really be of maximum service to the rest of the country, uh, we expect guys to improve their communities. I mean, that's what our mission statement says. So even if you're not doing F3, I would expect that if you're in a city five years from now, you know what F3 is doing for your city, what it's doing for the people that live there. 
Um, and we, that's going to happen all across the country and it's going to happen all across the world. But in order to get there, um, I don't think you can stop it. That's true, but it does take a lot of an organization and a lot of work by the team that's currently doing the work, um, to bring it to the people. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, and so, you know, you, you took over, uh, I guess, again, depending on when this airs, right. A month and a half ago. Right. Um, and I don't know if you saw that coming, uh, or not, you know, as, as the questions started getting asked and dread started saying things like, eh, you know, maybe it's time, maybe it's time for me to step down and move on. I don't know if you saw that coming. Um, but here you are at the beginning of, and I, and I think I, what I hear you saying is that's where F3 is headed. But one of the things we talk about, you know, uh, and, and is, is outlined in QSource too, is that the, the virtuous leader's legacy is really centered on their D2X, you know, their ultimate life problem, their ultimate life purpose. And so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to ask you to, to talk about yours a little bit, and then I'm going to toss it over to, uh, to Red Baron and have him uh, kind of talk a little bit about where he's at because he's kind of, uh, you know, in retirement now and things like that. He's a little bit on the other end uh, of it. And so looking back, like, you know, retrospectively, did we, did we hit our mark? You know, that kind of thing. So John, if you had to kind of sum it up a little bit, I guess, you know, ultimate life problem D2X, like where do you see what you're getting ready to do with the nation as, as fulfilling that as living that out? Unfortunately, one of the things um, I'm good at, I don't particularly care for. Uh, when I was the chief operating officer of the nation, that was exclusively back of house. Uh, it was running a business. I mean, you had the attorneys that we dealt with. Um, you know, we, we had trademark attorney or corporate attorney. We had accountants. We had bylaws. We had to create a board. Lots of back of house stuff um, that involved a lot of people, but uh, it, I, I was pretty good at that. Uh, and I, I run my own business now. Uh, we've got about 100 employees. So I, I'm good at organizing those things and making a company move together in a specific direction and making sure all the back of house stuff's taken care of, which you don't go anywhere unless you got right, uh, right, General, you got to have all your supplies taken care of and all the, the needs of the troops uh, accounted for, but you still got to have somebody to point them in the direction. So I think I'm good at kind of both of those things. Um, the reason that I believe Dredd asked me to take his place is that I'm also good at uh, interacting with folks and getting folks to, to follow. And for me, part of that is, uh, you know, you can't, you can't sell something that you don't own. Um, so I, I, you know, I've just always shown up and I've always looked in the eyes of the men that I'm there with and asked questions and, and followed up with them. Uh, I try to make sure I'm in good shape try to make sure that I, I, I lead a virtuous life myself. You're never going to see me uh, splashed across the front page of the paper like, uh, you know, Britt Reed or, or somebody because I, I don't do those things. And I think if I conduct by conducting myself in those ways over the years, I've just had people that have been attracted to me. And uh, at first here in Metro, that, that kind of manifested itself in some leadership positions here. And then by showing my back of the house skills and my front of the house abilities that it kind of came together. I, I think that my D two X is running a company and, uh, and, and making it successful by getting the, uh, the folks that are there to, to move in the same direction that I'm moving and, you know, multiply that times 
30 or 40,000 guys that we have right now. Um, and it, it just kind of seems to be happening. And I'm in, in the unique position where uh, I didn't invent it. And I don't think that's my D2X. I think that's dread and OBT's D2X and, and, uh, and dread got us to where we are, but you know, he's the first to admit that, running a company and the nuts and bolts involved with all the back of house stuff. In addition to pointing the way up front, um, that back of the house stuff isn't, isn't where he, where he shines. And that's, that's where I'm good at. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so Baron, similar question, right? Same idea of like, but you're on the other end of it now, right? So you're not starting it. Well, outside of snack town that you kind of got forced into. <laughs> you're not looking to really start a whole lot of things. You're, you're kind of looking back and, and, and doing a little of that as well. So talk to me a little bit about the legacy that you feel like um, that you're leaving and, and, and where you kind of come through and, and how that has, uh, I guess, re- how it's reflective of your uh, ultimate life problem, your purpose. So I, I think the first and foremost legacy that I think has been planted and it's growing and it's serving um, obviously starts with the family and my family. And the, as you guys already complimented, the fact that we have uh, our three sons, uh, three great daughter-in-laws, uh, Six great 3.0s, you know, spaced out between the three of them, um, two, one, two, uh, in that order. Uh, and as I, you know, we, as I watch our sons, our 2.0s, and what they're doing as fathers, um, and what they're doing as F3 packs, what they're doing in their communities, what they're doing. Um, in their places of, of, of work where, they, where they're employed. Uh, I, I feel good because they're, they're, doing really, they're doing good things. And all three are actively engaged in, in F3. They're actively engaged in their communities. And, uh, and so that part makes me feel really, really strong. And, and we're in the middle of the third week, we've got uh, our 2.1 F3 Atari, West Coast Atari from Puget Sound and his wife and our almost four-year-old granddaughter um, here because they're having their basement re- renovated and they can't work from home. It's too much noise, all that kind of stuff. And they were supposed to go home Sunday, but they had a huge snowstorm in Seattle and Seattle doesn't do snow. They have no snow removal equipment. So they're staying for the, they're staying for the week. And we're supposed to leave tomorrow, but we're delayed a, a day. We might not leave Friday because of snow here, blah, 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 blah. But we're heading to Alabama to uh, light years to the 2.2s to help for a week there to babysit those three grandkids because uh, Lightyear and his M, they're both now in the Space Force. They were in the Air Force. They're doing space operations and they've transferred over to the Space Force. But they're in a what we call professional military education program down there. That's very demanding. Um, and they'll wind up with a master's degree when this is over with. So they have to deploy the grandparents in um, once a month to, to help them out. But so that, that's that part of that legacy. Um, when it comes to F3 and Dark Helmet, you know, when I spoke with you and Kitty now 
probably not quite a year and a half ago when the, the question came up, hey, was I'd be interested to serve on the board of directors and, and why, and then interviewed uh, appropriately by, by AP and such. What the legacy there that I want to be able to bring is what is my D2X. And I, and I had thought, you know, for many years as a pilot that my D2X was to be a pilot, to be a fighter pilot. It really isn't. Uh, and, I, and I figured that out as time goes on. And, and it was when I was selected for Brigadier General, I was a, a colonel and I was running what's called the Euro-NATO Joint Jet Pilot Training Program in Texas. And I got a call from my two-star boss one day asking me if I want to go to Beijing to be the defense attache, so the military advisor to the ambassador. And I'm like, why me? I, I, you know, I'm gonna have, now I'm going to have to learn how to speak Chinese. You got to be kidding me. Um, and and uh, the answer came back, you know how to work with people and you know how to work in the multinational environment. You build relationships. You know how to collaborate with people. And that's what the chief of staff of the Air Force wants there to, to, to head it up because it rotates between the services. And, and I didn't know D2, D, yeah, D2X at the time. This is 2003, but now I do. And then as I look at the assignments then that I had that followed after that, people recognized that ability. And even my last assignment where I was in NATO as a NATO commander for three and a half years it was that collaboration of bringing people together, finding the common ground, having the personality to take multiple inputs. But yet when the time comes, you know, you build that consensus, you, you collaborate and then you move forward and make decisions, not being afraid to make the decision and stuff. So within F3, that to me is being on the board is what the legacy that I want to be able to bring is, how do we continue to work together? How do we bring all this stuff together? Bring in, yeah, I have operational expertise, but bring in those things and, and to then take the packs, work with guys like, like you and Slaughter and the rest of the folks on the, on the team and, and, of course, all the people in the leadership positions to then build those things that Slaughter and other guys and other packs have the vision for. Uh, and so that's, that's sort of where it is. And I think I'll, I'll stop here in a second, but so way back when I was a captain, so some crusty old Colonel who is younger than I am now stood in front of us in a pretty vulnerable place in a, in a pilot air crew meeting. And at the time people, you know, were di different time, different space, all that kind of thing. He said the priorities in his life had been his faith, his family and his job in that order. And he said, at times, those things get out of whack. <laughs> they get jumbled up. You're going to get pulled to do the job first. But then you always got to strive to put those things back into order. And I, and I call it back into whack. You know, that's a, that's a diceism. That's a red baronism. You know, put it back into whack. And I've been there, done that. Got the T-shirt and the coffee mug, you know. Um, when I was air component commander for the NATO Liberty operation, it got completely out of whack for months, but I figured out how to eventually put it back into whack and what a difference that makes. And that's what we talk about all the time within F3, you know, where's our priorities, what's the balance in our life. And that's another whole story right there. So I'll stop there and, and then we can go on. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me, let me jump in with a couple of questions, uh, for the general, if you don't mind, uh, two, two part question. Uh, 
First part is a, uh, a, a guy getting his uh, VQ who hasn't uh, had a long uh, and uh, successful career in the military will often be very nervous. There'll be jokes about the, the dumpster fire and whatnot. Uh, I'm curious whether what your uh, VQ was like. And then the second part of the question is a lot of your leader, your throughout your whole career, your leadership roles were given to you. It was manifest in that because of your rank, because of your title, you had that authority uh, manifestly. F3, it's completely different. You step up and say, I'm going to lead today. Could, you, could So the first part is the VQ and then compare and contrast the two leadership obligations. To be perfectly honest, you know, Kitty was after me or trying to get me to queue with him at times. And I'm like, uh, Brian, I don't want to do this. You know, um, I wasn't sure how to do it. I was, ner I was nervous uh, because, you know, we all want to succeed. Uh, and it's not, you know, I, so anyway, and, it, and then I think I co-queued with him one or two times. We actually did a big convergence in Carpex at Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. Nine, I think we almost had 100 packs there. And he had laid the whole thing out. We co-queued, um, but he had me. He's pretty good at this. He knew my he knew my strengths, so he had me talk at three different places as we were like in a plank or doing something. Talk about dedication, commitment, and discipline. So he got me into a into a safe place. And then you know, I, as I as we stood up Snack Town. Um, and such, of course, I was queuing all the time because I was the only PACs who had F3 experience. So I'm, I'm trying to teach the guys. And, uh, and after a few times, you know, I found my comfort zone, so to speak, of what was worked for me. And I didn't necessarily have to go to the Exacon or the Lexicon and, and find stuff. I just I was like, well, I've seen other guys do this, PACs do this. I'm just going to make it up, you know. Now, I, I might write a Winky, but I didn't use the Winky while I was – Queuing, right? Um, and and so now I, you know, and and so again, I was. You're right. After all that leadership, experience, it's a different. Um, you're exposing yourself. You're opening yourself up uh, and stuff. And I'm trying to set example to packs who have no idea about that. But then your your next question about, uh, if, and I think if I got it right, so you're right. You're you're. So like when I became a squadron commander as a lieutenant colonel in 1994, I had done all the other previous things that I was supposed to do. Flight commander, assistant operations officer, operations officer. I was a flight lead. I'd been an instructor, you know, multi-ship flight lead, all that kind of stuff. Um, and now they're going to put you in charge of this squadron with 24 airplanes and 385 people. And you're right. By virtue of your position and your title, you have authority but you don't necessarily have respect. You do kind of, you start out with, you start out with probably a bucket of, of respect and by your initial actions, that, that respect that's in that bucket can go down or it can go up. Obviously you want it to go up and now it might initially go down. You might have to build it back up, but you've got to then go out and you've got to earn that respect. And then, and you've got to earn that through good, hard, I think people skills, personal inter, interpersonal skills in the, in the military, we have different forms of command, you know, combatant command, uh, tactical command. We call that, you know, we got COCOM, COCOM, uh, take on, take on. Well, I call it hand con, you know, walking around and you guys can't see my hands uh, moving up and down. Like you're shaking hands or fist bumping, you know, so you don't get COVID. Um, and, 
And what I uh, found that as I got some of these other positions, especially in the multinational arena, especially when I um, in NATO, the importance of those interpersonal relationships and building those relationships and then garnering that respect through one-on-one because what motivates a Turk is not what motivates an American is not what motivates a Brit or a Dutchman or, you know, picket. Um, so uh, that's, uh, yes, you, you start out with some authority, you start out with some respect. Um, and if you lose it, getting it back is really, really hard. So you've got to, it, it takes effort and in, and in, the, and in more diverse organizations uh, and especially multinational uh, it's, I think it's, it's even harder, but, and you've, and, and you, therefore you've got to work harder at it to be able to garner those respect, because then when you need those people to do something really hard for you, uh, you know, in a time of a conflict, that that's when you, you want them to, to know that, Hey, they're free to lead. They, they've got ownership. Uh, they're empowered. Um, go do what you need to do. You need help, you know, come, come in, come in and, and ask me, I'm not here to tell you how to do it uh, and stuff. So anyway, that's it. No, I love that. I <clears throat> slaughter. I think uh, we're going to need to approach, uh, approach Malco and see if we can get a bucket of respect. Bucket of respect. Yeah. I wrote that down. <laughs> How full is your bucket of respect? <laughs> yeah. It's like he just got hit upside the head with a bucket of respect. <laughs> I wake up every morning and take a long drink from a bucket of respect. <laughs> <laughs> It'll cure what ails you. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, Slaughter, it seemed like were you going to jump in with something there? Uh, yeah. I, 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 the bucket of respect kind of got me thinking. Um it's funny how I'm, I'm non non-military. Uh, I have short hair only because I'm severely balding. People accuse me of being in the military or a police officer frequently. I wouldn't say severely. That's uh, pretty. Yeah. Right, so. Anyway. Yeah, maybe severely. <laughs> uh, so I'm not a military guy. Uh, my best representation of um, file and rank and 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 larger organizations with people that you are not proximate with is F3. And I think that a lot of those same parallels are true in our organization. Um, you know, you, t- you talk about bucket of respect. I, you know, there's some folks that knew me, and I think I, I, think I was handed a bucket of respect on that uh, cold, windy day in Cape Fear when uh, Red Baron did the uh, change of command ceremony. And he's absolutely right. You know, you, you're, you're, you're left standing with this, with this bucket, and, you know, what are you going to do with it? And that's happened to me elsewhere in my life as well. Um, and I, and sometimes people will start off with an empty bucket. I mean, there's plenty of, of examples of that. And it's all about what you do uh, in the face of the challenges in front of you while you're there with folks that determines what's in that bucket. And like I said earlier, for me, it's, it's showing up. It's, it's, it's going to the workouts. It's agreeing to do the CSOPs. It's answering the phone when people call. It's rising to the occasion, not successfully every time. Uh, I make plenty of 
of bad decisions, but I try to show up and make decisions. And that's how I keep my bucket full. And I have found that people aren't as worried about the decisions that I actually make. They're just looking to me to be there to make a decision or, 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 or to make a suggestion or, or something. And that's or just to be there or just to be there, uh, you know, suit, suit up or suit up and show up is, is what they say. And I think if, if you can get to that point, um, for example, some of the folks that I have a hard time having respect for are, are, are people that don't show up, don't, don't do things that they say they're going to do. And I know a lot about that because I used to be that guy. Um, you know, you, you couldn't rely on me. And the things that you remember most, the things I remember most about the people that I think are good leaders in my life, starting with my dad is, you know, it's, it's the people that were always there and the people that, uh, I don't remember the decisions they made. I don't remember what I, I, you know, I don't remember what the, our record was for my soccer team when I was six years old. Uh, I just remember the fact that my dad was the coach and we played a bunch of games and I remember being on that field. So it's, it's all about the effort that you put in and it's about the love that you have uh, for the people that you're with. I think that's how I keep my bucket full uh, by just focusing on showing up and loving the people that you're standing in front of and not getting all wrapped around the axle of what my winky looks like. Gross. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to know what your winky looks like. Hold on, I'll show you. This is what a, kind of podcast a is portion this? of this podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you guys both, uh, and and I, I, I like that we've sort of snagged this idea of the bucket of respect, and and um, and and I can't remember if you said, Baron, if that was something that's always been there, if that's something you just sort of came up with on the on the fly here, but. Uh, it was is this a long-standing imagery? No, no, it's not. I mean, this just that just came out of my mouth okay, as, as I was talking about it because you know we in flying or around in Air Force at least anyway. You know, we talk about having a clue bag and what's inside your clue bag. <laughs> you know, it's like you know what's inside your toolbox and you know. And I tell stories at times about you know how how I put how I put leadership lessons in my clue bag. But as I was trying to talk about the amount of respect that again, that you have when you take command of something, that's just what kind of came to mind. And I'm like, I kind of like that. I think it's a pretty good one. Maybe we could add it to the lexicon. We got, yeah, dude, I'm telling respect. you right now, that's going in the lexicon <laughs> bucket of respect. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That imagery that you, that you kind of dropped there and, and, you know, slaughter, you kind of picked it up as well. When you were talking about the change of command ceremony, it made me think a little bit of the, you know, the, the, the old Stephen Covey, uh, you know, talks about making deposits in people's emotional bank accounts. Yeah, in order to get the yeah. withdrawal later, but it's almost like, and maybe this happens to all of us uh, at different times. I, I, I know for myself, it certainly has, uh, where a guy hands you a bucket, and if it was a bucket full of the respect you deserve, it'd be an empty bucket. And what he's done is he takes his, and you get to borrow, right? So. Dread. Now, look, you deserve a lot of respect, Slaughter. Obviously, and I—I I mean, you're one of my best friends in the whole wide world, and I love you till I die. Right? These are the men okay. I go to war with. I say it all the time. But, um, <clears throat> but you know, as Nantan, you—you had earned nothing. You had earned a lot of stuff. I mean, you were good, you know, but you were handed the Nantan bucket, and you mm -hmm. didn't get any. You know, you don't have any built-up cred in in that bucket, right? So, it's almost like. And I'm just talking, you know, kind of off the top of my head here. So correct the analogy where we go, Ralph, you know, fix me. Um, but uh, it, it's almost like 
Dredd hands over his bucket full of respect that he has garnered. And he kind of says, look, keep it full. And eventually mine, you know, you'll put enough of yours in that mine will all splash out and it won't matter anymore and it'll be all full of your own. Right. It's like, you know, just places the, that, you know, whatever you had to borrow to get there. Right. I don't know. Don't you think you might've taken that metaphor and driven it into a wall? I mean, I think you showed up with, with, with a, with a bucket of respect. I mean, Slaughter didn't show up and we're like, who the hell is this guy? No, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying this he guy with short, balding hair. Right? What is he doing here? No, he certainly <laughs> he had a bunch of respect. That. I'm just saying that as Nantan, though, in that position, he'd not held that position before. So he, there was nothing in that Nantan bucket, right? So he had to borrow, you know, by, by virtue of the fact that he, ha- you know, it was handed to him. We all go, well, we don't know how he's going to do it, Nantan. We don't know if oh. it's going to be any good. But, but, you, but you, you started, we trust Dredd. You started off this conversation talking about teams, right? Yeah. And that's the whole trick to teams. I mean, Dredd, Dredd, Dredd's building his team. And the question is, how do you pick guys for the team? How do you know who's going to perform? You know, in, in a job, you can interview somebody. You don't know them from Adam. They give you a resume. You sit down. You ask them the trick questions. But really, you don't know how they're going to perform until they're in that seat doing the job. Well, I think that it, uh, uh, the best teams don't exactly work that way, and F3 is no exception. What Matt's saying is, uh, you know, I, I had proven myself uh, to the extent that I've been involved in the organization and been there as COO, and the reason – I mean, he wouldn't have handed it over to just a guy off the street. Of course, and, and he wouldn't have because that's not how you build a great team. You know, that's not a position – you know, it's, it's not like – I don't know – it's not like some guy shoveling coal in the belly of the Titanic where you got 20 guys shoveling coal. One of them's not really working out. Well, you got time to replace them. Somebody at the head of an organization, if they don't work out, that's instantaneously bad. That's why it's all that much more important to know who you're dealing with when you ask them to take that spot. And I'd like to think that Dread, Dread was no different. So, uh, but at the same time, you're right, Helmet. Um, now what? You know, it's you know, what have you done for me lately? You're only as good as your last game. <laughs> I mean, that's true to a certain extent. You know, I can't rest on the laurels of what I did yesterday because that's not going to get us where we need to go. And the people, you know, I, I just always envisioned the Forrest Gump, the people running behind me, um, just waiting to see what I do next. You know, if I, if I stop and, and go home, uh, the party's over pretty quick and don't have that option. So that's, I think that's part of the trick of building a good team is, having the confidence based on things that you know about people in dire situations that they've already been tested, that you have a pretty good idea that they're going to be able to perform with what you have them do next. I think that's part of the success that is needed on, on a successful team. And, and obviously I certainly agree with that. And, you know, you, you start making me think a little bit too, like that's, I guess in some ways that's part of the beauty of, the way that we structure grow rucks, which uh, I'm pretty sure Red Baron's going to do one this year. You should come to St. Louis, July 16 <laughs> through 18. You can see your old stomping grounds, Parks College, right? Uh, I'm sorry, you're coming in broken and stupid. <laughs> it should be above freezing by then, at least. Yeah. It'll be, oh, yeah. Hydrate. Uh, yeah. Snow will be almost gone. But, but uh, <laughs> you know, that idea that. Um, it's all well and good and, you know, and slaughter and I, you and I have done this a number of times now and, and, uh, Ralph has done a grow ruck. Um, uh, and, and 
but you and I've done a number of times where, you know, we're standing up in front of the class and we're teaching all this stuff and it all sounds nice, but uh, until, until the evening comes and, and we go under the log just as a participant, you know, we don't know anything. We're just, you know, regular guys doing the do. Uh, it, it's a whole different deal. It's, it, it's that, and, and general, I bet you see this a lot where guys who academically, you know, in front of the group or whatever, look like geniuses, you know, and they, maybe they have a big shiny bucket. We don't know what's in it, but until they're, I mean, just like Slaughter was saying, until it's tested, mm-hmm. until the team is, is put through something dirty, dangerous, and difficult, you know, it's, it, it's kind of tough to know, I guess. Is that mm-hmm. accurate? It certainly is. And, and what you are striving for when you have people that you've moved into positions like that. And I mean, I've had that uh, privilege of, picking people, you know, to be in leadership positions in, in different units and things is you, you look at their experience. You look at, you know, one, do they have the technical competent competency and capabilities? And then, you know, how are they, um, have they had their appropriate training? Um, and are they, are they ready, um, from a personality emotionally, you know, all those, all those aspects, to take over that position. And, um, and there's a little bit of, uh, you know, there's some trust there. There's a, there's a little bit of hope. And, and if uh, you've done all your homework, right, then uh, what you're trying to do is set those people up for success. But then there are times when you pick somebody and you find out that they're not necessarily the best, you know, for that position. Um, or you pick somebody then, and, and, or, or you inherit somebody because you've been moved into a, a higher position and now you have to work with the cards that you've been dealt, um, which uh, happens in NATO, happens to me all the time. Uh, and so you go, well, this might not be the person I would have picked, but they were picked by their nation. So I can't go back to their nation and go unpick them, you know. Uh, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, excuse <laughs> but, me. Uh, yeah. I just want you to, just want you to know, you, you've done a terrible job here. Right. You're out. Yeah. Uh, now, unless they, unless they do something illegal and moral and ethical, that's a completely different story. But, um, and so uh, having to, uh, like I said, at times to work with those cars that you've been dealt and, and then recognize too, at times that this person is not succeeding. Um, then, then you've got to make the very difficult decision, uh, you know, at that point of, um, do you need to find somebody else or, you know, can you, can you mentor them and help to bring them along? Can you give them, can you help to fill up their clue bag or their bucket with other, uh, with other things, not just respect, but, you know, sort of more of how to get the job done as opposed to what you want them to be able to be able to do. Um, and, yeah. So. No, that's good. Ralph, you look like you had something you were going to say. I was just laughing at clue bag. That's a uh, oh. clue bag and bucket of respect. I'm still, I've heard clue bag before, but bucket of respect. Uh, it's a, uh, we got uh, whoever's in charge of the Xcon. has got, or Lexicon's got to be in there. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably already done. I don't know that these, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. It's probably already done. It's probably in there. No, well, if Carmen San Diego is listening, I guarantee it's in there already. The guy and he and he's listening. He's always listening. Like a prophet. Like he just yeah. somehow prescient. He just knows ahead, and he's like, "I feel a disturbance in the force." Oh, <laughs> oh bucket of respect. Yes, I'll put that in. Um, well, yeah, um, I, 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 I Oh, okay. go ahead, General. 
No, if, if we need to go, we can save this for another time. No, no, jump. Or we can, or we can finish with this as a thought. So when I became a squadron commander, um, as a Lieutenant Colonel in 1994, the, uh, some, uh, the operations officer had done a, uh, an interview or not an interview had done a survey. And I just thought that this might be a good thing to, to leave with. And, and, uh, and especially to leave with you guys. And he said, what, what do you expect out of your commander? And one young captain who eventually became a two star younger than me and a uh, great, great guy, very impressive said, I, I expect my commander, and if you think about this from any leadership position, to do three things. Provide direction, enforce standards, and make difficult decisions. Hmm. Provide direction, enforce standards, make difficult decisions. What do we do in F3 as leaders, or what do we expect all of our PACs to do every day, right? If you're the Q, provide direction. Enforce the standards. Here's the Merkin. Here's how you do it, right? Modify as necessary. Make difficult decisions. Uh, I'm, I'm beating the crap out of everybody. Nobody's able to finish it. I, I need to modify, right? Or, you know, and, and now take that on to the Nantan. Provide direction. Okay, here's what, here's what we're going to do. Here's when we're going to have Q-source and force the standards. Well, this, the, the standard for our circle of trust is going to be, you know, here's how we're going to do this, or here's how we're going to run our Q-source sections. And to make difficult decisions. Well, we've got a you know, a, a problem with our, one of our site queues who's not managing the site right, you know? So what's the difficult decision? And so applying those things, those three things, and that could be a whole topic for another whole conversation. But um, as Slaughter was talking about some of the things that he was mentioning, um, that just kind of came to my mind. And so I wrote that on a little yellow sticky and I kept it on the back of my little nameplate and every place I went that was on there. In fact, it's on, when I was showing you the, around the bar, it's on one of the nameplates still back there that I wrote it in 1994. Now I didn't, I didn't look at myself in the mirror every day and recite the mantra, you know? Um, but uh, those things, I think from a leadership perspective of what you want to be able to do. And we talked about integrity, all those other things, but those simple things. And, and I can talk about another time how I was tested in that regard very early on, but um, I just wanted to leave us with that. No, I, I appreciate that. That, that's an excellent way to wrap it up. And, and, uh, obviously, uh, we would love to have you back on, uh, many, many times and, uh, and talk about all this kind of stuff. So I appreciate that slaughter. Thank you for, uh, joining us and for your insight as well. I, um, I wasn't trying to infer that he didn't have a bucket of respect already, right? Just relax. But, um, but just that, you know, you get different buckets at different times, I think. And, and, uh, and you got to start filling them with your own stuff. And, and, um, I personally, I'm just super grateful for both these men uh, and for you as well, Ralph, just uh, for the things that you guys are doing for the nation and, and what we're trying to do to make a difference in, in the lives of men. Um, so, uh, gentlemen, one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten recently that really was kind of a, a game changer and a, a brain shaper uh, for me was, uh, you know, one of, my, one of my mentors, one of my greatest mentors, Dredd, you know, said, hey, man, you, <laughs> you just got to you got to do something for me <laughs> and I'm going to ask you guys to do the same thing. Uh, but he said, you, you know, helmet, you got to be the leader you are uh, and not worry about the being the leader that somebody thinks you ought to be or being the leader that you think, you know, you're supposed to be, but just be the leader you are. So that's the, that's the charge I'm leaving at the end of uh, all these. Um, and again, can't thank you guys enough for joining us today. And we, this is a, you know, this is for you. One of the Jodas men, we got to go. <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> we got to go. Thanks. Great to see Thanks, you guys. Helmet. Thanks, Ralph. Yep. Thanks, guys.
Yep, good talking to you. Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there, 43 feet at a time.